0: Hello folks, welcome back to episode 11 of the Fearless Flyer. My name's Grant and it's our pleasure to have you back with us where we're going to be talking about flaps and slats. And I'd like to say hello to my co-host, James. How are you,
1: James? Yeah, not too bad. A bit tired, but uh, that's just life when it comes to exams. Are oh, you got exams at the moment. What exams are you doing? Uh, I've got an economics exam and a culture exam. based around aviation. Ah, that's
0: interesting. Oh, we'll have to have a chat about that at the end of your exams and let us know how that went. I've got some uh, birds sitting here on my... um next to my window and there's some young birds that are chirping away because it's spring here in the Middle East. It was interesting, I was watching a starling probably do its first flight the other day while I was on my running machine in the gym and seemed to fall out of the nest and onto the ledge in front of where the window was in the gym and it just sat there and its parents were flying around above it trying to coerce it into the air and it did kind of make it into the air and wobbled around a bit. And with about 20 minutes, this damn bird had picked up this flying quite naturally. I'm thinking, God, oh, it's taking me years to get anywhere near picking up flying naturally, but these things seem to do it in about 20 minutes. It was very impressive to watch. Uh, they, they didn't have ha- to, or else they die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was wondering whether they had any flaps or slats, but the wings are quite moving quite fast, so I couldn't see whether they had any of that. But uh, really impressive to watch the bird probably on its first flight and the fact that it can get the hang of it very quickly. It's quite impressive. Anyway, the previous pod, we talked about why we fly so high, and I hope you got something out
1: of that. It was good, like learning about, obviously, the fuel efficiency benefits, but also the sort of the speed and how that sort of changes as you get higher into the atmosphere. That was interesting.
0: Yeah, it was a good episode, and it was good to have a look at all the different facets and background as to why we fly so high. But the number one reason is, you know, the higher true airspeed, which was really good. So today we're going on to flaps and slats, and you have probably seen them before when you're at the airport. Most flaps and slats, they're in the retracted position when the aircraft's on the ground, but they it all changes when they're about before takeoff and obviously when they're coming into landing. So that's the only time you really get to
1: see them. But what do you know about the flaps and slats there, James? Flaps uh, at the back of the, the wing, which is known as the trailing edge of the wing, and then slats are... Uh... Not as not as common, especially on the smaller planes, but they are on uh, the large commercial aircraft and at the front of the wing, uh, which is also known as the leading edge. And they're known as high lift devices. And yeah, they just increase lift. They can change like the uh lift and drag sort of aspects on the wing. Yeah, so that's if right. If you need, yeah. That's right. So
0: basically these devices they give us better takeoff performance and they also enable a steeper approach and a lower approach speed and therefore lower landing speeds. So this in turn means you don't need as much runway for takeoff or landing. And for the latter, the landing means less brake wear. These high lift devices, they do this by simply providing more lift at the slower speeds. It's worth mentioning briefly here the lift formula. And two of the elements of the lift formula are the shape and the area of the wing. And it's these high lift devices, they not only increase the area of the wing, but they also change the shape of the wing to make it appear more curved. And thus, combined together, they significantly increase the lift of the wing for a given speed. So lift is dependent on smooth air going over the wing. If we slow down too much, the air over the wing will eventually become disrupted, i.e. it's not smooth. So
1: basically, it's, you need the smooth air. And if you're slowing down, because if you're, you're slowing down, the air's not going over as smoothly. And that will break away into to eddies, is it called? Eddies? Yeah. Yep. yep. And then also probably a better way of simplifying that for the listener is, I think of an analogy, is if you look into a river and you see there's a rock in the middle of the river. And as the water flows and it hits the rock, behind it, it's all sort of disrupted. It's not coming off smoothly. Would that be a, a way... Of describing? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Bang on. That's similar to what's going on in a wing when it stalls. So the air breaks away and it becomes all disruptive. This is what we call a stalled wing. Now a stall's not good because no lift means gravity takes over and the result is a downward motion, which caused a lot of paperwork. So what we want to do is keep the air flowing smoothly over the wing. But as our speed reduces, our wing gets to a point where it will eventually stall which simply means the air flowing over it has become turbulent, like that water behind the rock that you mentioned, James. So to stop the air breaking away, the smart aircraft designers have given us some pretty awesome tools to enable us to keep that airflow over the wing nice and smooth at the much lower speeds. Back to the basic elements that contribute to the lift formula. One was the shape of the wing and the other was the area of the wing. In essence, the flaps and slats change the shape or curvature of a wing, and they also increase the area of the wing when they're extended, both of which allows the wing to generate more lift by helping to keep that airflow nice and smooth as it flows over the wing
1: at a lower speed. So that's why generally they're only used at um, takeoff and landing because you're obviously generating enough speed to take off, and then at landing you want to be as slow as possible. Yeah. So you're really putting down quite a lot of flap. That's just... Uh... But that's right, yeah. It's
0: takeoff and landing is the phases of flight that we use these high lift devices. So let's look at them separately so people understand what's going on here. We'll start with the flaps. Now there are over twelve types of flaps. And remember I said at the start of the episode that these were on the trailing edge, or you said at the start of the episode, they're on the trailing edge of the wing. Well, I'm not quite wasn't being quite truthful about this as there are some types of flaps that are also on the front of the wing. So I'm just going to concentrate on the most common type of flap on the rear or trailing edge of the wing and that are attached to most commercial jets nowadays. And then we'll talk briefly about one particular type of leading edge flap. The most common type of trailing edge flap is called the double slotted fowler flap. This flap tucks away nicely under the wing on the rear of the wing And when it extends, what it does, it comes out of the wing for quite some way, thereby increasing the area of the wing. And as it comes out even further, it starts to change direction and go down, thereby changing the shape of the overall wing as well. Now, if it was a simple fowler flap, it would just be one panel coming out and going down. But most commercial aircraft, it's a double-slotted fowler flap, and these are the types of flaps on most commercial aircraft. And therefore, the first flap panel that comes out has a break in it, and then another flap panel comes out. So this is the double-slotted system. And what it does, it enables high-pressure airflow from under the flap to escape through the gap onto the top side of the flap, and therefore it kind of rejuvenates the low-pressure air that's on the top side of the flap. In essence, it's just helping keep the air nice and smooth over the top of the wing and the flaps as it slows down, which gives a heck of a lot more lift at a lower speed. Now, as even more flap comes out, the flaps then change direction they go in a downward direction. So at this stage, we start to significantly increase the drag as well. This is because as they come down further, they produce less and less lift, but more and more drag. At this stage, drag is okay because it means we can come into land at a steeper angle without the aircraft wanting to go too fast by virtue of the fact we're descending.
1: So basically, another way of simplifying that again is that uh, if you're a car going down a steep hill, even if you let go of the accelerator, it's still going to accelerates you need to use the brakes to maintain or reduce the speed to make sure you don't get a speeding final and then a crash yeah exactly yeah so yeah
0: so we can come down a bit steeper it changes our pitch angle as well so a bit of pilot visibility but yeah that's exactly right we can contain our speed a bit more with the more drag out there so the higher flap settings do provide a lot of drag so this helps to keep our speed
1: under control So when you sit behind the wing on many commercial aircraft, you don't see this on small aircraft, but on large commercial aircraft such as the 777, you see out the back of the flaps, these sort of big stick pylon things uh, that are underneath them and stick out the back. What are they to do with? If you're on a window seat behind uh, the wing
0: and the flaps are in the retracted position, so in the up position, you will see a significant part of the flap system still. And these are the protrusions you're talking about. And there's a number of them sticking up from under the wing, the rear of the wing. And these are called the flap support fairings. And under those fairings is a flap track system that enables the flaps to drive to the various positions. On Boeing aircraft, this track system is called the flap support mechanism, and that's the system without a cover over it. It's got no fairing over it. And if you didn't have that fairing over it, it would create a lot of drag as it hangs out underneath the rear of the wing below the trailing edge. So the manufacturers have put a nice streamlined structure over the mechanism called the flap support fairing. They simply reduce the drag and you'll see quite clearly under the rear of the wing as they stick out that they generally extend out behind and below the wing's trailing edge. And there could be any number from two upwards. For example, the 777 has an inboard and outboard flap. And as a consequence, it has three of these flap support fairings sticking out, which means two of the flap support mechanisms are for the outboard flap. And you'll just see one for the inboard flap as the other support mechanism is close to the fuselage where the fuselage and wing meet. The 737 has a similar setup as does most of the Boeing jet family. And the same concepts um, also on the Airbus aircraft family as well. Some aircraft might have around, you might even see five, up to five of these flat track fairings, such as the 380, I think, has about five of them sticking out the back.
1: So we had these leading, the idea of leading edge flaps that you're talking about before. And yeah. we mentioned at the beginning, these are slats which come out the front of the wing. Are these the leading edge? No, no, or- no, no. The leading edge flaps, uh,
0: there's the most common one is called a Kruger flap. It's basically, it's a hinge flap that folds out from under the leading edge. You'll see these, they're just a panel that seem to be pointing towards the ground when extended. And what they're doing is they're giving the wing in that area a lot more camber or curvature. And These Kruger flaps are normally only located on the leading edge or the front of the wing, between the engine and fuselage or in large aircraft between the engine nacelle, the attachment points of the engine nacelle and the slats. And they just help with better low-speed handling. So
1: the leading-edge flaps, which are on the front, What's the difference between those and slats? And what are slats then if they're not leading edge flaps as such? The Kruger
0: flaps are things that just fold out from under the wing down and forward. So slats, they're literally a panel that comes off the front of the wing or the leading edge of the wing. And there's generally two settings for the slats. There's mid and fully extended. And they're generally positioned outboard of the engine. And they go all the way to the end of the wing or the wingtip. It's not one continuous panel, but a number of slat panels all along the whole leading edge. So, for example, the Boeing Seven Three Seven has four slats on each wing, and the Boeing Triple Seven has seven slats per wing. When they're extended, it can look like one single panel, though, and they allow the wing to operate at a higher angle of attack, which simply means we can fly slower, which also means that the lower speeds required for takeoff and landing. So, like I said, there's generally two positions there's mid and full for the mid position the slat comes forward and down a bit and the back of the slat is likely to still be near enough to be touching the wing this is the effect of increasing the curvature or a camber of the wing now in the fully extended position the slat moves forward even more and down even more so a gap will appear between the back of the slat and the front of the wing so now there's even more camber, but now some of that high pressure underneath the slat can escape from under the wing going through the gaps to the top of the wing. And this helps smooth out those eddies we talked about or rough air right at the start. And thereby it helps reduce or prevent the air breaking away from the wing, which remember would mean the wing has stalled. So these slats help keep the air nice and smoother, as it slows down, thereby enabling us to fly at a much lower speed. So if you're standing on a ladder at the end of a wing and you're looking at the fuselage and the flaps and slats are up in what we call the retracted position, you'd see that the top of the wing has a slight camber to it and underneath it's pretty flat and the wing looks streamlined. Now, if we extended the flaps and slats out fully, the wing will now have taken on a significant curve shape. It would appear a lot bigger as the front has protruded out more with the slats and Kruger flaps out and the back of the wing has grown a lot and curved down with the flaps all the way out. So the wings not only grow in an area, but the overall wing now has a much more curved shape to it. It's completely changed shape with everything extended. In the show notes, uh, we've put a link to some course notes on the beautiful Boeing 757, which shows pictures of the flaps
1: and slats in various positions. So those will be in the show notes. So you mentioned there that the slats has two, generally two positions, mid and full. From that, I'm assuming flaps and slats aren't like an automated system. Um, They might go there one day, but do you have controls for the slats and flaps?
0: Yeah, um, let's put them into context and see how they work. In actual fact, the same control lever on the flight deck controls both of them, which on the Boeing we refer to as the flap lever. But like I say, this flap lever controls both slats and flaps. So... On the 777, we have seven settings, and these are up 1, 5, 15, 20, 25, and 30. And these settings roughly, but not exactly, they relate to the angle of the actual flaps. And this is how they work. As we select flap 1, only the slats drive out into the mid position. The flaps stay where they are. At flaps 1, we can now fly 20 knots slower. The next position, flaps five, they drive out significantly and they significantly increase the wing area and they roughly go down around five degrees. So a heck of a lot of lift is being generated and now we can fly another 20 knots slower. The next flaps are 15 and 20. So these flaps now drive out even further and now they're starting to change direction in a downward direction even more. So a lot more lift is generated, but now drag is starting to increase. At this flap setting, 15 or 20, we can fly another 20 knots slower. So you're keeping up with how much slower we've been going so far? Yep, 60. 60 knots slower, yep. And then the last settings, uh, we working them together, flaps 25. Uh, so at flaps 25, the slats drive out to their fully extended position, and the flaps move to around 25 degrees. So the wings getting a significant change in shape with the slats all the way out now. And the flaps are now moving down, creating a lot of drag as well. More so at the final flap setting of flaps 30. It's just the flaps then driving to the 30 position. So it's flaps 30. We can fly another 20 knots slower. So compared with flaps up, now we have flaps 30. How much slower can we fly, James? 80 knots if I'm maths. That's correct. Yep, bang on, 80 knots. For miles an hour, that's about 92 miles an hour or kilometres an hour. It's 148 kilometres an hour. So that's a huge difference in the speed compared to the flaps up, isn't it? It's quite significant.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's a, a lot of difference. It's just, That's probably as fast as small planes cruise at like a little general aviation aircraft. So it's a big difference in speed going from... Probably 100, 200 knots down to 120 or what have you. Yeah.
0: And that has a huge, um, we'll talk about that in the next few minutes, a huge difference on
1: takeoff and landing performance and how big a runway needs to be, for example. So you've mentioned, well, you're talking about the Boeing 777, but the Boeing logic is pretty much the same across all fleets. but. Airbus with their respective flaps as such, is it the same or is it different?
0: Well, the concept of how the flaps and slats work is probably similar, but I know for a fact that the A380 has four flap positions up one, two and three. So they just do it via a numbering system uh, rather than the angles of the flap. So um, that's how that aircraft works, but as, I'm not really 100% sure. But it's the same, it'll be the same concept with regard to the control of the slats on the leading edge and the flaps on the trailing edge.
1: Sweet. If you can, in theory, the FAPS-30 in your 777 makes you fly 80 knots slower, yeah. is there a reason why you wouldn't use it the takeoff?
0: Yeah, remember the higher flap settings, say flaps 20 and 30, they create more drag than lift. So generally for takeoff, we normally take off at uh, flap 5, but sometimes on short run ones, we can use up to flap 15 or 20. Over flap 20, there is a lot more drag than lift created by the flap. So we don't uh, use any flap that's higher than 20 for takeoff. As I say, that would just create a, a heck of a lot of drag which would impact upon our acceleration. So for landing, it's the only time we use flaps 30 is, would be in, in the landing scenario.
1: And so obviously in your aircraft, 80 knots, it's a, a very big difference in terms of being able to to land an aircraft. So is there a system on board, which, like a backup system in case, I don't know, your lever or something goes wrong so that you can still put them down and land?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yes, there is. There is a backup system and and there's also a protection system for the operation of the high lift devices. So on most airplanes, uh, the well, the Boeings I've flown, the high lift devices are driven by hydraulic power. But in the event of a hydraulics failure, there is a backup system, an electrical backup system on the 777. So, the big things about the time to extend them. So, to go from flaps up to full flaps on the normal system, so that's flaps 30, it takes 54 seconds. But if our hydraulic system wasn't powering it, we had a hydraulic failure, um, we'd use the alternate system and that uses electric motors. And it would now take five minutes and eight seconds to get the flaps to the fully extended position. So,
1: well, yeah, it's a long time, mate. Eh? So there's a lot of planning ahead there. If that sort of thing happened, you'd have to be thinking ahead of when you're 10, 15 minutes away from landing the start yes. doing it rather than just doing it a few minutes away. Yes, no, exactly. So we'd give ourselves plenty more time
0: to start the flap extension. So we'd obviously start that earlier in the approach phase if we were
1: using the backup system. So we've talked obviously in previous episodes about flight controls on aircraft and the ailerons and how they help the plane to to turn as such. And so if you... Have these flaps, the slats, panels on each wing. If one goes down and one doesn't, that would create a huge imbalance in lift, and could that cause the plane to go into a large like roll or such? Yes, it would, and you're bang on there, James. It would uh, cause
0: the plane to go into a bank, and that might be a bank which the ailerons might not be effective enough to counter. And this is what we call a flap or a slat asymmetry. There is a protection system for just the scenario whereby, say, an individual slat or flap didn't move as commanded. So all the high lift devices have sensors in them and the nanosecond that senses a high lift device not moving as commanded. It stops everything from moving and it lets us know by an indication on our instruments. Say, for example, it was a slat that decided it wasn't going to move. It got jammed somehow. We would then use the alternate system to just use the flaps for landing. And if it were the flaps misbehaving, we would just lock them out and land with the slats. For either scenario, this would involve a much higher approach speed and longer landing. So once again, we would plan
1: accordingly. So these flaps or high lift devices—they obviously have limitations around them otherwise if they increase lift dramatically theoretically if they had no limitations couldn't you just have like them down like as you say flaps one or flaps five at the cruise but I'm assuming there's some limitations that mean that you can't just have these down the whole time where you have to bring them up. If you put them out at high speed they'd probably rip off because they are
0: designed for low speed. So we do have speed limitations for operating the flaps. We just don't extend them at too high speed because one, we don't want them falling off but also we don't need them. Remember, the concept of high lift devices is for flight at lower speeds, and the higher flap settings have a lower maximum speed in which we can deploy them. So the limits are incremental depending on the settings. For example, on the 777-300ER, the speed limit on deploying flaps 1 is 265 knots, and then it changes incrementally until you get to flaps 30, and the limit on flaps 30 is 180 knots.
1: Fair enough. So yeah. there's the speed limits, obviously, and then if they don't work, you'd lock them out, uh, which is involves the highest approach speed. So I'm assuming that you, you can still land, even if you had no flaps, like a worst case scenario type thing. You'd, yeah. Or, you, yeah, you, you can still land. You'd
0: just put the slats out. So your approach speed would be significantly higher. And it'd also be quite a, probably a significant nose up attitude on the approach. But to put it in context, let's put some work figures to give you an idea about how good these devices are. We're going to look at different flap settings on the 777 out of taking off from uh, London's Heathrow Airport. And if we're taking off at the maximum takeoff mass on a 777 ER, it's just over 351 tonnes. At flaps five, we would rotate the aircraft into a climb at about 187 knots. But at flaps 15, this would be 177 knots. So 10 knots earlier, which means we could use less runway if we took off at flaps 15. We have absolutely no figures available for takeoff with no flaps. But as an educated guess, with no flaps, the maximum takeoff weight, it would be roughly around about 240 knots, which would require a really, really long runway and would probably exceed our tyre limit speeds. So, you can see why we use flaps and why they're so good at what they do. But now about landing. The maximum landing mass on the 777 is just over 251 tons. And at full flaps, flaps 30 would be touching down on 154 knots. But if our flaps failed and we only had the slats, the speed would be around 194 knots. So, it would be 40 knots more, which means a lot more runway would be used to slow down and it would be a lot more work on the brakes as well. So we plan accordingly. So you can see these high-lift devices have a a significant effect on our landing performance. And this performance, we'll talk a bit more about, I think, around about episode 24 when we discuss aircraft performance and limitations. But it's worth mentioning here that large commercial aircraft require flat for takeoff And we've said that flat 5 on the Boeing 777 significantly increases the area of the wing and thus taking off with no flat would have detrimental consequences.
1: So not having a flat for takeoff. And landing, in fact, is probably not the best thing, especially if these larger commercial aircraft. So what, as a pilot, is stopping you from forgetting? Because you've obviously got a lot to work on like work on as you're preparing for takeoff. Like, is there anything, a system or anything that can tell you, well, you forgot forgotten this just before you take off? Yeah,
0: based on our discussion here, I've said, you know, the flaps need to be set and also set correctly for the takeoff as it's critical. And having no flap would likely create a bad situation. As a result, we have numerous checks and systems backups to warn us, the flight crew, that the flap may not have been set properly. And also, the aircraft has a system on it on the 777. For example, if you advance the thrust levers above a certain level, the aircraft sends out an oral and visual uh, warning to us, and it sounds like this.
1: Yeah, that is a very... uh irritating noise to listen to. I'd imagine it would startle even the most experienced pilots if you heard that as you advanced the the thrust levers. Yeah, that's exactly
0: what it's designed to do. It's to grab our attention that something's not right. Not all Boeings have the exact same noise. They have subtle different noises, and I'm not sure what the Airbus system sounds like, but all commercial aircraft will have an attention grabbing visual and oral warning that say we aren't configured correctly for takeoff. So that noise there was actually the 787 takeoff configuration warning, but it's extremely similar to the 777 version.
1: It's a weird noise, like how it's been made, but it definitely has sort of a startle factor. And I'm sure the aircraft manufacturers went to scientists as such a sort of designer noise that's going to startle people the most just to have that sort of instinct to look over to the displays to see what they're telling you that something's wrong.
0: We call this a takeoff configuration warning, and that's a final safety backup to numerous checklists and procedures that we follow in order to avoid not setting the flaps correctly in the first place. Between flaps up and flaps down, it's a huge difference, and that difference affects how much runway we need to take off and land. It has a big effect.
1: Yeah, and just how imperative it is. To work well because just little things like obviously the flaps or slaps going wrong isn't the mess thing to happen. Yes. And day to day operation. And historically, there have been
0: accidents and incidents where there were problems, but we've developed aeroplanes or the designers have used all these historical events that weren't very good to put into these modern aircraft we have nowadays to ensure not only reliability and redundancy, but also fail-safe options and backup options so that we as pilots don't mess it up. And and as a result, there's been a heck of a lot less incidents with misselections of flaps in recent times. So, yeah, there's some good checks and balances there. Yeah, let's, I'll tell you what, let's, we mentioned last episode, we're going to... Ask Yeah, ask you some questions, because as I say, we only briefly, very briefly talked about ourselves in the first episode and neither of us like talking about ourselves. But let's talk about you at the end of this episode there, James.
1: Well, if you don't know some of the stuff that I say, you're a real bad father. <laughs> yes so for those of you who don't know James is
0: my son and uh my eldest son and uh that's uh can I edit that out what you just said then <laughs>
1: no that's going that's, uh, in it's going it, the world in. needs the hair <laughs> okay uh so it's easy to talk about why I was a good father is that right <laughs> yeah I mean I'd have to make quite a bit up
0: <laughs> um where were you born London. What age did you leave England to move with your dad to the Middle East? I think it was my ninth birthday just after that. Yeah, ninth was birthday. My ninth? Yeah, I want to say it's ninth. Yeah. So you were educated in the Middle East and then you left there at what age did you finish school? Eighteen. Eighteen. And what
1: were your aspirations upon leaving school? Probably just to get into, I wanted to do something in aviation, but obviously in hindsight, there's a lot more going on than you sort of see on a day. Like as a as a passenger, you don't sort of comprehend how much is going on behind the scenes to get the plane from A to B. So just getting into aviation and then well, as I've started to learn more and more about it, there's more and more different aspects of it that uh, interest me It's probably the easiest way yeah. uh, of discussing it. Yeah.
0: Well, you've liked all things aviation for many years. Yeah. And it's a rub off because your father is involved with it. It's really interesting what you develop, because as you have learned more about it, and I'm learning stuff from you as well, from the stuff that you're learning at university about regulatory stuff that I didn't know about. And there's a heck of a lot of stuff that goes into making sure that a plane goes from A to B safely. It's not just the pilots and the cabin crew and the engineers. There's a heck of a lot of background and you're educating me about that. And I'm finding it
1: really interesting. Yeah. And also I was lucky enough, in my first year of university, to work at a local airport doing, at the time, SwissBot, working as check-in and boarding and what have you. And that gave me a nice sort of insight into that sort of other part of the company. Because obviously, everyone goes to check-in and everything, but you don't realize how complex the, the systems are and how much, especially at a smaller airports where they don't have people doing different jobs and there's two people doing all the jobs, how much actually goes through on a day-to-day basis. And... Don't be mean to uh, to the staff <laughs> at the front of the house. <laughs> <laughs> you were straight to the back of the plane.
0: <laughs> I remember you were, you were doing a lot of different jobs, and you seemed to really enjoy working with that company and doing that, and you were getting a good insight into all the different aspects. That big airports, as you say, staff just generally focus on one area, but you were quite involved in a number of facets of the operation there at Palmerston Airport. So what's your degree called and what's it about?
1: It's a Bachelor's of Aviation Management, and probably the easiest way to describe it would be like a business degree, but with all the aspects, say economics and HR and all that aviation focus, so it intertwines with all the others, the uh, people doing actual aviation, learning how to fly here at Massey, and so we learn sort of the management side And then some of the classes we have with them. So we did CRM, Crew Resource Management. We did that up to sort of like a PPL level. Same with meteorology. At the moment, I'm coming into my final year. So I've got another year, but I'm in my final year of aviation courses. So I've only got other courses to do next semester, which are not to do with aviation or next year, which are not to do with aviation. But so this sort of year I'm focusing in on, I've got economics and aviation. So we're looking a lot at oil prices and aviation and how the. I should probably remember the key terms of I've the exam this week, but it's just <laughs> jumped out my mind. Uh, but <laughs> learning to do a sort of like how COVID's affected uh, aviation economically and what airlines can do and that sort of stuff. And then I've been doing another course in airport planning. So I, that was actually, it's been a really good course, that one. We just did our last assignment, which is a big four and a half thousand word one on, uh, we had to pretend like hypothetically be a consultancy, head of a consultancy company proposing to do a master plan for a new airport in otago so we had to look at all the different facets as such that go into designing a new airport put those into a plan and then another part oh we did security and aviation this semester so we're looking at uh, some of the more controversial things such as profiling and terrorism and how like over time obviously the terrorism rate's gone down but we're actually looking at in america especially there's the amount of money spent on securities pretty much it's really obscene like when you when you think about the actual number but to think of how if it's actually worth being spent because there's the argument that people make oh it's not doing anything but then you say well the fact that there's no aircraft crashes it's not like that proves it's not doing anything so it's been quite a, like a it's more of a debate of the subjects than a okay, straight yeah. fact-finding yeah. subject but yeah it's been it's been interesting Oh, that's it's good. Been good, yeah.
0: And you've got an exam coming up next week, have you, or the week after next? Oh, I two weeks. It's okay.
1: exams. I've got two exams, and then I've got holidays.
0: Good, yeah, good. Yeah. Now, what's your other passion, just to finish up? There's something else, nothing to do with aviation. There's something else that you're fond cooking. of. Is that hmm. it? Yeah, cooking. You've always loved cooking, and um, you <laughs> do send me some photos of some very mouth-watering <laughs> meals that you make. And as a part-time job, what's your part-time job to support yourself for university?
1: Oh, now after, the so Swissport left Palmerston North due to Jetstar pulling out. And then I went through a couple of companies and ended up working as a fishmonger for a bit. Well, fish, yeah, is a bit. And then now I managed to get a part-time job as an actual chef. So I was pretty happy about. that. Are you enjoying that? Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, that's good to hear.
0: Well, you are a wonderful cook. And uh, for our listeners, James does create some wonderful meals and he sends me photos, which are very mouthwatering. I'm very jealous. So that's the end of that. Is there anything else you want to add about yourself before we wrap it up Yeah, oh, Jadens.
1: Not about myself. I did have one question about earlier in the podcast, just swaying off topic a little bit. Yeah. You mentioned Eddie's. I think it was called Eddie's. Yeah. And what's the reason they called Eddie's?
0: no I don't know where the name comes from I I wouldn't have a clue I'd have to get on a computer and look that up but yeah I've heard that you know mentioned it in water and eddies is used is it eddies used in uh, electricity I think eddy current I don't know where it comes from I would have to go on to mr google and look at that so I don't know where it is actually if I get my computer up now and I put the word eddies into it eddies it's come, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> there we go. And Eddie is a circular current of water. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah it's not yeah, just yeah. a the swirling go, motion. Go. Oh, there we go. The swirling motion of eddies in the ocean causes blah blah blah. I think I wonder if that's where it comes from, just because it's swirling oh, water, water. So like
1: swirling air. Water yeah. is like uh, it's the same. Yeah, sort of yeah. Yeah. So like,
0: yeah, that's so. Uh, there you go. Fair enough. Okay, that's all good there, James. And so what's on to the next episode? We're going to good be there. looking at engines and we'll talk about those contrails in the sky. And then you might ask me some questions.
1: Well, yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. You can think of something to ask me. But anyway, it's been a, it's been a good podcast. Thank you very much for listening. So from me, it's goodbye.
1: And yeah, no, we'll see you next time for uh, episode 12. I hope you enjoyed.